Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me on the 76th episode with Stephen Gerbsman, Managing Principal of Gerbsman Partners. Stephen is an internationally recognized crisis, turnaround CEO, reconstructing professional, private investment banker, and angel investor who has been involved in maximizing enterprise value, stakeholder, and shareholder value in a broad variety of industries. With 51 years of experience of senior management and having been involved in deals amounting to $2.3 billion, he helped over 105 companies maximize their enterprise value. Stephen is an investor in J Ventures. Stephen Gerbsman, thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Leaders. My pleasure. Really, really great to have you. You know, with 51 years of experience in, in, in crisis management as an investor, angel investor as well, and, you know, really understanding how to maximize the value of enterprises. I'm so excited to learn with you exactly what is crisis management. And, you know, I, I'd love to spend the next 20 minutes getting to know you better and, and gaining some insight that hopefully one day as a seasoned entrepreneur, I will have to confront a lot of the lessons that you've uh, you've already learned. So so let's dig in. Who are you, Stephen? So let me give you a little brief background. My career started with the IBM Corporation. All right. Uh, I was president of four operating divisions of a company called ITEL Corporation in San Francisco, which is in the computer and leasing business. In the 80s and 90s, I was a hands-on crisis turnaround CEO being dropped in by equity or senior lenders. Around What does that mean? Wait, 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 Stephen. What, what does that mean, an interim CEO crisis turnaround? Companies... Uh, uh, Companies, uh, let let me turn it around. Companies uh, fail and companies succeed for different reasons. Companies fail for three reasons. Lack of control, preservation, and forecasting of cash. Lack of control, preservation, and forecasting of cash. And lack of control, preservation, and forecasting of cash. It's all about cash. It's all about cash. You, (laughs) You have management issues. You can have market issues. You can have gross margin issues. You can have competition. You can have FDA issues. doesn't matter. If you have enough cash, you can get through the process. And boards of directors or senior lenders focus on, you know, what happens in companies. But let me take it to 19, around the 2000s, and I'll talk about because I think this is a thread here. Um, when the internet blew up, we observed that there were no hard assets. It was intellectual property. You had software, you had medical device, you had life science, you had mobile, you had fuel cell later on, you had solar. So there was a whole new industry that grew up where your normal M&A process really wasn't viable. So we got involved around 2000 with a companies that had anywhere between 10 to $200 million invested, okay? And these companies, again, something happened, but it all revolved around amount of cash. They were either senior lender companies or they were venture private equity companies. Uh, to the extent that what they needed to do uh, was find a way to go forward. So if the board or, or the bank decided not to continue to invest, which is all about cash, what happens then? So you got to maximize value in relationship, you know, to the market. So we created a process called the date certain M&A process where um, we go to market in six weeks. We maximize the value of the intellectual property and assets. We've done 109 deals. 109. 
109 deals. And, you know, to the extent that um, uh, we were able to, you know, to save jobs, save intellectual property. That, Stephen, that I just want to I want to just summarize to make sure that I understood this correctly. What you're saying is if you have a company, it's it, it has investments of historically of 10 to 200 million. Now they've reached a point where the investors current or new are not interested in continuing along. The company is now in a problem because it's running out of cash. It right. has assets. It has intellectual property software. It has value. It has value, but but now you're coming in and you're saying, I want to help you maximize this value. I'm going to come in for six weeks in and out, and I'm going to maximize the value of the assets you have, and I'm going to try to save as much as I can of the value of your company, right? I'm going to try to save as much as I can for the value for the stakeholders. For the stakeholders. Stakeholders are equity, creditors, senior lenders, investors, all of the above. Employees Are employees stakeholders? Uh, you know, I would call employees stakeholders. And, you know, um, when you go forward, you know, part of the objective is it's hard for investment banks to do these type of deals because they get into what I call M&A nirvana. They get into <laughs> reps and warranty issues. You can go on forever. You get letters of intent. And that is in the real world. So we go to customers, competitors, strategics, VCs for their portfolio companies, senior lenders. Uh, we're branded worldwide. We just did a deal in Israel. Huh? We've done a couple of deals in China, uh, Australia, obviously the U.S. And the message is the board has made a strategic decision. They want to go forward and try to monetize and maximize value. Now, why did the board do this? Basically, they have a fiduciary responsibility to all those stakeholders and creditors. Right. <clears throat> and to the extent, part of the challenge is, you know, there has to be enough money in the company to run a process. You know, to pay us, to pay the employees, to keep things going, etc. What's happened over the years, uh, after the debacle in 07 to 09, if right. you will, is that senior lenders, who uh, represent probably about 30% of our deals that they're involved in, made sure that they put covenants in that there was enough cash to maintain the operation to go forward. But basically, the board has said, I want to I, I decide what we do, uh, you know, to go forward. We're not going to put any more cash in. We don't want to do a hard shutdown. We want to meet our fiduciary responsibilities. So we're an independent third party that's able to go to the market, find out what's going on, you know, and we basically send out a sales letter. All due diligence is done prior to the bid date. We send out an asset purchase agreement. We require a deposit. Highest bid that conforms to the asset purchase agreement wins. Bids come in to me, so it's a closed process. We've changed the dynamics of power and control where the bank is sitting there, investment bank, and, you know, holding uh, the company off to an LOI or whatever, one-on-one, it's anybody can bid, highest bid wins, and we can go back and handle, you know, on price and all that stuff at the end. And the company can either accept or reject the deal. Now, the perception of value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Right. And value is the market. The market will determine value because it isn't what people pay for it, it's what people, you know, what it costs to get to the next step. So, you know, as I said, we've done 109 deals, very credible in that market, et cetera. But let me give you some observations. By the way, so uh, just to make sure I understand, when you come into the picture, it is understood by all parties that this company is going to be either merged or acquired. Is that correct? Well, uh, it is understood that we're going to do an asset sale, okay. meaning the company without its liabilities meaning that the acquirer can decide which people they want. Uh, In all cases, the value of the IP and assets or the company without its liabilities 
is really related to the quality and availability of the key intellectual capital, which are the people. And it really isn't the CEO, really isn't the CFO. It's, really? it's the IP technology people, the people who really work in these areas that make, make sense. The VP R&D, the, the, those types of, uh, those roles are well, really the when you When you invest in a $200 million, half of our deals have been in the medical device life science area. All right. Basically because they bring the most return uh, and they can have a CE mark, which is approval of Europe. They can be in some form of FDA, you know, et cetera. But I want to take you to one area that you sort of alluded to. When we talk about why companies fail and why companies succeed in young entrepreneurs, the biggest frustration and challenge for myself and my partners who are all ex-CEOs is that the board of directors doesn't hold the CEO responsible and accountable enough. All right, okay? I'm ready for this now, yeah. All right, so you have venture capital, you have senior lenders, you have private equity, a lot going on. When things are going well, you're the CEO, you're king of the hill. If you haven't been through a down cycle, you don't know what to do. CEOs will shut down. <clears throat> they won't communicate. We've been in situations where everybody in the company knows what's going on, but the CEO is concerned about communicating that, which is the worst thing you can do. Of course. You know, it's all about leadership, motivation, morale, communicate, communicate, communicate. You tell people the truth and it will free your soul, but make it a lot easier so you don't bullshit anybody. How, how often do CEOs not, are not completely open with their board? How, how many of the cases would you think? Well, it isn't a matter of not being open with the board. It's a matter of either the board not forcing issues sooner than later because they see something's happening and they're working on a leap of faith. Or the CEO doesn't communicate. But is this a common thing? On. Is this a common phenomenon? I, I, I would say... You know, what, here's what's common. What's common is uh, at least 30 to 40 percent of companies that we get into, the CEOs have not been experienced enough to know what to do. In other situations, they've been through it a couple of times. You know, in cases, it's a badge of honor if you, if you have a company that doesn't make it because you know what's going on. You do the best you can. But the real issue comes down to when you get in crisis mode, you need to communicate to your employees to the creditors, to your stakeholders, to the senior lender, to your vendors, to the market, okay? And one of the issues that you find, if you are important to these people and you're actually delivering product with your intellectual property, it's hard for them to go away. So you get creditors to support you and they want to see something happen. Right. So when we use the term maximize the value of the intellectual property and assets, we're trying to find a home that will take it to the next level. Now, Here's the waterfall. The waterfall is when we do a deal done, we get paid, the lawyers get paid, and management gets paid. But the real people that come after that are the secured, the secured creditors, which is the lender. And then you've got the unsecured creditors, which are the creditors, the payables. Um, equity rarely gets, gets paid off in these deals. But the real, you know, the issue that you're doing is you're meeting your fiduciary. I use that word a number of times. And you know, if you're going to ask me about three words, I'm going to give you the three words right now. Ethics, integrity, and leadership. Okay? You go through life. You don't sell your soul. You tell people the truth, uh, you know, and, and you get through it. The hardest thing to do when we get involved, we, my partners and I can go into any company and in three days tell you what's going on. And here's the profile. If we sit down and the CEO doesn't let us talk or we have a meeting with the CFO, the CTO, the CMO, all the key executives, and all the CEO does is tell us what's going on, I know we got a problem. 
because the strong CEO is going to say, CFO, tell me what's happening. CTO, tell me what's happening. CMO, tell me what's happening. And you try to work the problem in an open environment. But again, it's not necessarily, it's experience. I mean, how old are you right now? 24. God bless you. You're, you're, the, you're the future and you give us hope. Thank you very much. You know, run your company at 27, but unless you've never been through it. That's what so, I want to know, Stephen. So, you know, now it's time for some selfish uh, selfish requests because I want some advice from you. I'm going to run a company. I'm, I'm very excited for that. I hope I get to a point where my company is big enough and strong enough. And I and you know what? I hope that we're going to have to fight some hurdles because I want to learn and I want to experience. What, right. do, what do I need to keep in mind from day zero? I don't want to reach a crisis and then ask you, Stephen, okay, so come what help you me. need to do from day zero is the following. Okay. One, you cannot lead if you haven't done. Go make a sales call. Call a vendor. Go down to the manufacturing plant. Meet the people. Understand how to communicate to employees. Close an order. Talk to the senior lender. Force people into a discipline because, you you know, it's all about respect, but you don't get respect until you really know what's going on. The other thing is, you know, I told you the three reasons why companies fail. Start with putting in a discipline of bottoms up, go forward cash flow, not top down. You see all these great spreadsheets and, you know, I look at them when I come in too late. I said, this doesn't mean anything to me. I need to understand what we have as cash in the bank and on a weekly basis, what I'm spending, why and how and what creditors I can push off or not, because I need to preserve control and forecast cash. Now, you're a healthy company. You just got 10 million bucks, okay? You're feeling good. <laughs> your best business partner is your chief financial officer, he or she. You hold them responsible and accountable, and you, you need to understand the numbers. Many, many years ago, when I became a division president of one of the groups at ITEL Corporation, the CEO came in and said, this is before we had real spreadsheets. I want you to run your business model with your hand so you know everything that's going on, calling employees costs, production costs, cost of goods sold, market. You know, you need to know the numbers. So it goes back to the fact, if you want to lead, you have to do. And if you don't do, you can't lead. So right. understand your business. The other thing is, it's all about leadership, motivation, and morale and how you communicate to people. You're in the business of, you may want to be liked, but you right. need to be respected. Right. Okay. And people will respect you if you tell them the truth, if you tell them what's going on, if you set reasonable goals. Okay. The other thing is, is you need to learn how to sell up. Meaning, if I'm the VP of finance or marketing, I'm going to sell up to you about what's going on. I want to, I want to anticipate what's happening. Right. You need to manage your board. Because your board may not be managing you because they got 10 other deals going on. Right, right. Okay, so the first time you get a glitch, I need help. It takes a strong person to say, I need help. What do I do? What do you think? Nobody's going to question your ability. I mean, after the third time you do it, I may fire you. You're but right. the first and second time, I'm going to give you enough rope. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, it sounds to me that, that it, it, I mean, it all comes back then to integrity and honesty and, and being open and, and being, and allowing myself to be, to hold myself accountable, but also allowing others to hold me accountable. But 
it sounds like unless you've gone through these crises yourself, it's really, really hard to empathize with them and to really understand because I can see in the future, you know, three years down the line, I go to my board meeting and, you know, something doesn't work exactly like I think. A board meeting is an hour long. We do it once a month. I'm going to come in and I have nine other incredible things I want to say that are just going to help me get my next round of investments and going to get me, you know, the next uh, yeah. the, the next high five. It's it's gonna have it's gonna take a lot of social a lot of personal responsibility to get to say that one thing that's not so nice, right? Look, I said it's about ethics, right. integrity, and leadership. Those are the three words you want me to end with. I'm beginning with it. I'm in the middle. I'm gonna end with those same words. I love it. It's your responsibility to understand how to sell and communicate. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Now, because you're the young entrepreneur. You're going to screw up a couple of times. You have to. Right. But let me go back to the fact, if you haven't done, you can't lead. So you can't, if you don't know the financial numbers or you don't know your gross margin or you don't know the architecture of a sale or the lead time to sell, lead right. time to install, lead time to you know, get, get close the sale, lead time to get cash, what your AR is, you know, 30 days, 45 days, what's going on in payables, what's going down on the manufacturing floor, you're in trouble. All right. So. In good times, everybody's having a ball, okay? And I've lived through now 87 to 89, 94 to 95, 01 to 03, 07 to 10, 12 to 14. You know, this is different. 2020. Why is this different? Why is this different? Because it's the magnitude where people are frozen and they don't know what to do. Meaning... I have five proposals out there right now. I get calls from banks and equity and everybody has a leap of faith, hope that they shouldn't. You have to, you know, I've always learned that we're the last ones in and everybody has that hope. Uh, and, you know, you just play it out and you bleed some more. This cycle is very emotional. And, you know, you sit here, I, I you know, three months ago, my partners and I discussed, you know, the travel business, the entertainment business, the market coming back. There's no way, you know, and we're now two and a half months later, everybody thought it'd be great. No way it's going to happen. It's going to take a lot longer. So I encourage people to make the, more, the hard decisions now. Right. And I'll give you a different example. Please. Uh, example is uh, you have a prohibitive real estate lease. You're a company that's doing revenue and you have, and this is an actual company, has 50 million bucks in the bank. Wow. They're burning 10 million bucks a month. They are going to downsize, but they have a contingent liability of a real estate lease. Okay. We've terminated and restructured about $800 million of these problem real estate leases. $800 million. Wow. What we tell people to do is don't pay the rent. Okay. Go to the landlord and say, hey, we need some help here. And to the extent that when we do this stuff, um, you know, we got to work something out. The landlord is going to say, no, pay the rent. I'm going to have my lawyer call you, give you a default. And you're going to say, I'm not going to pay. And that's going to cause the landlord to do something, start spending money on lawyers, uh, you know, creating havoc, et cetera. And you're going to sit there and say, we got to negotiate. Now, where we were in 04 to 06, this is the same timeline. And I'll tell you the ultimate reason why you do this is that it takes, it took 18 months to get before the courts then. Uh, and basically, the worse you are, <clears throat> the more leverage you have. So you do a contingent liability liquidation analysis. You show how bad it is. And the worse you are, you have more leverage. You're playing poker. You play the insolvency card. All a landlord would get in an insolvency is 12 months or 15% of the lease. They may have two to four months of letter of credit and deposit. You negotiate. 
because the problem is they don't want to wait that long and you got time on your side here. Right. Now, the reason why you've got to do this, and I've had a number of companies who should be doing it now, is five months from now, when you had that leap of faith and you got to go and raise another 20 million, you have this overhang on your balance sheet. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to give you 10 million bucks when you got a 10, 20 million dollar contingent liability out there. Exactly. So, you know, a little different twist, but it, it's all in the mental set of how you run your business, how you, uh, you know, expect things to happen and, you know, what happens going forward. It sounds like more than anything, you're coming in and you've seen 109 of these deals. You have to come in with such resilience and, you know, confidence that, because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming also that, you know, the, the, the clients that are coming to you, they're not in their happy state. This is not a fun thing to do that they're coming to you to help to help it when, when they're losing, right? So you're, you're sort of coming in as their savior, as sort of like they're like this Messiah, right? Well, I won't say they're saving. I'm coming in to maximize value we at a time of crisis problem, we, we, we fix it at a time okay? of, at a time of crisis you're yeah. not going to call me as C if you call me as a CEO I you know I, I take your call and I listen etc but the only way you're going to get to me is the board told you to call me or the bank told you to call me right, all right? and I'm going to have credibility and you know and say okay here's what the plan is and we're hired guns we'll go in you got to write a check to us like everybody else but we, you know we're the doctor on call right so an interesting analogy. I had a, one of the proposals out is to a, um, um, I don't know, it's about $80 million invested in a uh, cancer um, d- development drug, which is looking real good. And they're out of money. So um, the uh, uh, one of the uh, board members is a very high profile surgeon. So he says to me, well, Steve, you know, do this on a contingency. We'll help you out. And, you know, you make more in the back end. I said, no, look, I didn't create it. We're here to fix it. I'm the doctor on call. Yes. If I go to you and say, I'm going to, uh, or you go to me and say, okay, Steve, uh, you know, uh, we're going to do some cancer surgery. And I'm going to say, okay, I only want to do something and pay you if you would do a good job, you know, whatever. So we, like the lawyers uh, and the other hired guns, are cost of doing business. Of course. So our job is to make sure we get the best value, move on. And what happens in these cases is that the creditors are able to at least go through and hopefully work with the new company, the customers that are there will be able to maintain a flow that's in their system. So I that's what it. we do. Very, 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 very cool. I mean, it's just a whole different world that I had no idea even existed. And, and I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, you have 109 different stories. You shared a few here, but I like you, the ones you shared, you have 109 more that we didn't get to hear. Stephen, I need three words that best describe you. I already know what they are, but I want to hear it one more time. Ethics, integrity, and leadership. I love it. Stephen, thank you for the inspiration. Toda raba. And uh, have a wonderful day. Okay, you too, buddy.